defeated already. Nothing has happened yet. I mean... Nothing has happened yet. We can't be defeated. And yet... Hi, I'm Nika. I'm Julianne. And this is Only Slightly Dead Inside, the podcast that puts the fun in functional depression. We are not doctors, trained therapists, or medically licensed in any way. We are just extremely tired. Okay, I am just extremely tired. I'm not extremely tired, but I have been at a level of like not quite enough sleep all week in a way that is fine because there's nothing in particular going on. But you should still sleep enough like to be a person. Yeah, that's actually kind of a difficult concept for me. The idea is part of maintaining myself as a person is getting enough sleep as opposed to just like when I'm tired and wanting to sleep. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. It went a different place than I thought it was going to go. Oh, where did you think it was going? I thought you were going to go down the road of like not doing the things that you should do to be a functional person in the world because you don't feel like you deserve them. Also that, like if I am feeling bad about myself and like just sometimes I just stay up late because I don't want tomorrow. (laughs) And... (laughs) which happens a lot. It happens more during the week, unfortunately, which is not a comment on my job. It's just the state of having a job. And I'll stay up late and it's like, who cares if I'm exhausted? But you care. But I do care ultimately. It's also, I stay up till I'm so tired my brain can't keep running Mm -hmm. because that's also sometimes a thing where you're just like lying in bed and when you're just lying in bed and your brain is like, here are the thousand things that you didn't do today and on the hundred things that are wrong with what you did do. And also, do you remember the last 35 years of your life? That wasn't great. Um, Yes. (laughs) I was going to interject with a terrible joke based on your boyfriend's Twitter activity. I understand how you would be lying in bread. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'm a little jealous. I have to take it to work. Half of it the bread because there's so much. I thought for a moment you're gonna be like, I had to take it away from him. Like I had to oh, take well, the kitchen. Oh well, he did set aid. the kitchen aid on fire. I also read that on Twitter. Yeah, that's how I found out about it. Yep, I, but that's how I found <laughs> out that you found he said out about it just it. sparked and that it's fine. We'll see. He put too much stuff in it. Okay. So a few weeks ago, there was a tweet and then a bunch of follow-up articles about how not everybody has an inner monologue, and as slightly neurotic depressives that shocked us both to the core and we wanted to talk about it yeah i mean everything that i've read about it which is not a ton suggests that some people don't have them at all some people constantly have them but a lot of people maybe most people sort of have a combination of both i would say i have a combination of both because i do sometimes have sort of abstract thoughts but i do almost always have an inner monologue running Yeah. So my inner monologue vacillates wildly between actual narration of like a book, like as if I were reading what were happening and it was being typed out in real time. And like, I can hear someone reading the audio book of my thoughts and actions, or it's just a completely different voice that's like berating me all the time. Like it's all just getting notated. Yep. That makes sense. But it's constant. And I think, I don't know, I was talking about this with you about how like when I was a little kid, I would ride my bike in tiny circles around my backyard until my brain was too full of thoughts. And then I would run upstairs and like write a novel. And I think that that 
never quite went away. I also once submitted that novel to Scholastic because it was the only publisher that I knew existed because I was a child. Yeah. And they... They like sent me a form letter with like a we don't accept unsolicited manuscripts. <laughs> and I remember my parents being like, it's your first rejection. You did it. <laughs> How did you feel about that at the time? Um, I felt like if nothing else, the fact that I had submitted something and nobody like took pity on me meant that I could be taken seriously. That's very mature. How old were you? Fourth grade. Amazing. That's amazing. Because <laughs> I would have had a complete and total meltdown and been like, I, I'm a failure for the rest of my life. No, I was just like, no one took pity on me because I'm a kid. They just sent me like the form letter, the rejection form letter. And like, I don't know. They treated you just like everyone else. That feels nice. That does feel nice when you're 10. Yeah, no, when you're a little kid and you're like, just being treated like a person is really a big deal. It's meaningful. Yeah. I Uh, mean, being treated like a person is a thing that should happen throughout your life, but particularly when you're a child and everything is dictated to you and you're not in control of most things. Truly. But I think that that's that's like the genesis of my inner monologue and it never really went away. You still have thoughts whether or not, you know, there's someone to get them out to or you don't. And this is what is so wild about like having an inner monologue or not having an inner monologue. Um, And the other thing that struck me is that in like a super early episode, you were saying, and I was agreeing with you because I too have this, that there's like also a voice in your head that you, I don't know, it was funny at the time and I'm going to botch it, but it was like 15 to 45 times a day. There is something in my brain telling me that I'm worthless. And so I was thinking about like that in conjunction with an inner monologue and like how do those two things work together and how do they fight against each other and like what does that do for the sort of external uh, manifestation of your inner life yeah I'm similar in that I have one part of my inner monologue that is like narrating the movie that I feel I'm starring in at all times and the other is just being like why did you do that that's terrible you forgot this this sucks you're awful like most of the time sure Mm-hmm. or just narrating not the movie style but sometimes it's basically like you need to do this next you need to do this next you should go talk to this person or whatever it makes it hard in a mundane way in that sometimes my inner monologue is running while I'm trying to do something else like have an unrelated conversation with someone it's yet another reason why I stutter sometimes it's not only that I'm trying to get out lots of thoughts sometimes it's that I'm having a completely different set of thoughts at the same time and I'm not hearing the order of the words as they come out of my mouth and I have to kind of stop and back up but and, the, and no no and I'm just totally the opposite in that like I don't realize that I haven't spoken in an hour I'll do that too sometimes particularly if I'm in a social situation where I don't know a lot of people I react to things in my head and I forget that my mouth has not opened totally or that like people don't know me well enough to know what my face means you know what I mean? Sure. That's the more harmless version of the inner monologue fighting. The more harmful version is obviously the very negative self-talk. And because the inner monologue can be so harmless and mundane, it is hard to remember that the negative stuff is not necessarily real or valid because it's all the same voice. So if you're going to believe one part of the voice, sometimes depression and anxiety and whatever else is going on that's feeding into my stuff 
will just say, then this other voice must be correct as well, because it really is the same voice. It's all the sound of my own voice in my head. It becomes very difficult to be like, oh, well, that's just some right. some bullshit. My inner brain is trying to mess with me or whatever. Like that's. I just had that image of standing on the roof at the at the like end of the movie, and you don't know which one's the clone, and you have to shoot one of them. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, believe me, I'm your friend. Believe me, I'm your friend. And you're like, fuck, which one do I shoot? Right. And neither of them has an evil mustache. So what are you going to do? No, or a top hat. Right. I mean, our top hats aren't really evil, but, you know, they are quite. It's like uh, Monopoly Man evil. Okay. So back to the double agent on the roof of the building kind of thing, except they're both you. Yeah. It's 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 exactly what you said. It's It's the clones. clones. It's the clones. Do yours like comment on the things that each other are saying? Because mine definitely do that. Sometimes. So like, if I'm trying to be more positive about something, there's definitely, depending on my mood, there can be an, an equal, minimally equal negative reaction from the other voice. Totally. So it's like the really mean and evil one will be like, you are worthless and everyone hates you. And like, why are you even here? And maybe just like, you know, go home and never come out of your couch. Like you live there and everyone would be much happier if you just lived in your couch as a concept. And then the sort of narrator inner monologue sees that that's happening and like tries to cut it off and be and is like, I understand that this is my depression talking and none of this is really true. And here are all of the reasons why based on the work that you have done in therapy and the fact that your medication is working, like here are all of the reasons why what this shitty person is saying isn't true. And then the shitty inner monologue is like, yeah, but like, but you know, it's real. But like, you know, it's real. Right. And then like the two of them get into a fight and I am just sitting there like, so am I going to, um, am I putting on sweatpants or no? someone just like tell me what to do we've talked about this before in a in a more outward context that often negative reactions feel more real than positive reactions like a compliment is harder to take than a negative criticism in terms of just believing it and taking it seriously the most intense conflict of those two voices happens to me if I'm in a situation where I'm like borderline panic attack or otherwise just really thrown off and my good narrator voice will say you're fine I'm fine you're fine and the bad voice actually doesn't even have to say anything it just sort of wells up and the like if you have to tell yourself you're fine are you fine oh that's fucked up yeah it's really fucked up and then it's not often just makes me cry I don't know how that works itself out it sort of runs its course but it is really insidious. I don't like it. No, no. Yeah, that's like the the underbelly of the you're worthless voice. It finds new ways to seep into the cracks of the nice voice that's like, no, no, you're actually fine. Your physical safety is not in jeopardy at this moment. Let's do the grounding exercises and the five things you can see and the four things you can feel and the three things you can touch and whatever. And yeah, it's the voice saying like, that's so cute that you need to do all that. Right. If you were fine, you would just feel fine. That's cute that you're kind of trying to baby yourself like that. When are you going to get with reality? Right. Like, why do you still have to do that? 
Why do you still have to do that? Why do you still have to do that? I thought you were a grown up. I thought all of these things about you that make you seem like a functional adult were true. Are they not? It's very mean girls. Totally. It's just this nasty, nasty mean lady in my head. Oh, no. <laughs> it's not that I long for the boring narrator. It's I guess I'm super curious. And we also discussed this before we turned the mics on that like, I have a version of aphantasia, which basically means like I can't visualize things like at all. And I remember in the same, basically in the same conversation of like, some people don't have an inner monologue, a cast I was in when one of these articles came out. And I was like, oh yeah, I have that. And people were like, you can't see things when you close your eyes. And I was like, no. And that sort of blew people's minds. And like, yes, I can see things when I dream. But like, if I was going to close my eyes and picture something, I can't actually picture it. I can narrate what it is in my head that I think I should be seeing, but I can't actually like see it. I can think about it conceptually, but it doesn't, it never appears to me. Uh, It's just like blackness. If you think about a very specific thing, can you see that? No, I can just something you've seen before. No, I can just think about it. Huh. If I was to close my eyes, it's not to see something. It's just to like eliminate any sort of external noise as I'm trying to navigate my way through whatever that is. Like I don't close my eyes to see anything. I close my eyes to to sort of narrow the scope of helping myself think of something. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. Totally. I do that if I'm trying yeah, to think through think anything that, complicated. Yeah, no, I don't think that that's abnormal. It's like people. It's also why people like turn down the volume when they're trying to focus on driving somewhere. Yeah. It's, I never understood that as a kid and I 100% understand it now. Yeah. Cause like, I can't think if it's loud. I can't think if it's loud or if there's like or too I much visual if it's loud. stuff. Yeah. Or it's even like, I'm trying to keep my mind on the task at hand and get rid of all of the noise that is telling me that I don't even deserve to be dealing with the task at hand. I am never going to solve this. Everyone is going to be mad at me. Like there's nothing I can do to improve this situation. Maybe I should just leave. And that takes up an extraordinary amount of mental energy that I know that I could be spending on solving the problem. And so the other voice is like, don't listen to them. You're totally fine. Like you absolutely deserve to be here. Just focus on the task at hand. And then like that voice actually isn't helping either. And like trying to let the actual problem solving skills force their way forward is really it's it's sort of the same thing that you just want to tell people like I absolutely plan to do this correctly there's just so much fucking noise in my head that like it might take me another 20 seconds and like please don't think I'm dumb right yeah this happens sometimes if I'm thinking through something in a group too where people sort of keep talking And I just have to be like, can we all stop for like 30 seconds? Because I have a thought and I absolutely can't finish it right now. I can't hear all of the things happening at the same time because my thoughts are an inner monologue. So I'm listening to them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was having a conversation with my therapist about this and about how sometimes and maybe I just need to do this. Like I need to make a list of where I left off last week because the idea that like I have to come up with something new to talk about or I have to think about like I just would like a laundry list of all of the issues that I'm currently working on with like a little marker with of how far I am along so I can just pick one that day and talk about it the sort of organic genesis of thought 
in the first place is often insurmountable. And then I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know. Just tell me because like, I, I don't, I just don't know. Don't make me get there. What is causing the pressure that you're putting on yourself about what you quote unquote should be talking about week to week? It's that I only have a finite amount of time and I don't want to waste it trying to think of what it is that I want to discuss. So once you've already discussed something, does it feel like it's been taken care of and it should be shelved? No, because like one session discussing something is not going to resolve it. Well, yeah. But it's that I can't really remember what I talked about. Or if I was just starting to get somewhere, you know, I hate the phrase put a pin in it. But like if I want to put a pin in it and come back to it, it's a whole week happens and I'm not going to remember until I write it down and then my inner monologue is like why can't you remember the thing that you were going to talk about is it that important should you really even be here if you can't get it together to like pick one of the myriad things wrong with you to discuss that's the mean inner monologue and then it's like you only have 50 minutes are you really going to waste 10 of those minutes wandering around a thought rather than just picking something from a sheet of paper and diving back into it I don't know. I also like don't want to deny like any sort of organic thing that has come up in the week that relates to, you know, because everything relates to X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Sorry. No, I definitely do know what you mean. And I have had that same thought, especially because the last several years I go every other week. And sometimes if there's like a holiday or something like that, sometimes it's even further apart and I try to just talk about the things that are immediate to me but sometimes I'll come out of a session and be like fuck I really needed a lot more on this other thing that was more important but it's just because of what happened today that this other thing is on my mind that's very mundane and whatever but it's just the thing that's at the top of my mind so that's what I went with and it feels like I've wasted a session right and then conversely I don't know that I've ever actually tried this but I feel like if I came out of a session feeling that I wanted to continue talking about a thing, if I were to email myself or write a note or whatever about it, I think that I would look at it later and be like, this seems dumb. That's just kind of how I am. When I make lists of what I think are good ideas, they rarely seem good later. Well, you know, write drunk, edit sober. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Except when your inner editor is just going to tell you that everything is worthless and should be thrown out. Because I also have such a hard time translating concepts into words and thoughts into words. I can paint you a really good mental picture, but putting it into actual words that could translate um, maybe to more than no people. (laughs) (laughs) I have a really, I have quite a mental block. And I think it's just that I am so hyper aware of constantly being misunderstood and feeling like I have to explain myself all the time that I just I want to make sure that I've covered all my bases rather than allowing anyone to like come along with me and trying to find the right thing I don't want to waste anybody's time it's a struggle to feel that whatever you need to talk about in the moment is worth it because that's what you talked about in that moment in time and you'll get to the rest of it or if it is super important it will come up again these are the things I wish I could listen to in my brain this goes back to 
some of the misconceptions that we were talking about, about going to therapy early on when we started recording, people think you sit on a couch and you just talk about bullshit. And some weeks it, that's exactly what it feels like. And you don't feel like you're quote unquote getting anywhere or getting better or feeling different or anything like that. The thing that I try to remember is part of having a therapist that you like and trust and building a relationship with that therapist is them getting to know you overall. And that's not just about what you tell them. It's about how you are. It's both the concept of what you're choosing to tell them and the content of what you're choosing to tell them. But sometimes choosing to talk about these sort of more superficial things and not these other things that everybody probably feels needs to be addressed more. I think a therapist will note that. And also maybe it's an indication that you're not ready to talk about that that day. And that's okay. It's hard to feel like you are quote unquote getting your money's worth, getting their time's worth, doing something that's valid week to week. We've talked about this before. Things like this only feel like they're working in the long view. It's a, I can look back at a few months ago or a few years ago or whatever and see how things have improved since then and how I think about things differently. Sometimes you walk out of a therapy session being like, that was awesome. I really needed that. I feel so much better. Sometimes you walk out just being like, okay. And it's, it's a weight off. And sometimes you walk out being like, nothing happened. And all of that is valid. Yep. This is not about inner monologue anymore. I think I kind of made it not about that anymore. That was very difficult for me for a long time to get my inner monologue to stop during therapy. Mm. Because you got to say all that shit out loud. You have to like clear the brush to make room. Yeah. And something that I have told any new person that I've worked with is that I am good at narrating myself. I know how to talk about the things that are going on with me in a way that is entertaining enough and makes me seem like I have a grasp of what is happening and what I need to do to fix it and objective tools and all of that stuff. But I, I need people to see past that because that's not quite real. Mm-hmm. And my inner monologue for a long time would get in the way because it it's editing everything you're saying is why do you need to say that or that sounds stupid or just making you feel bad for whatever feelings you're having like getting over that vulnerability allowing is, for that vulnerability al- allowing vulnerability is extremely difficult and the inner monologue is one of the ways that my inner self stops me from being vulnerable the therapist's job is to not judge you They're there for you to be able to tell them things that make you feel vulnerable and having the inside of your brain constantly tell you that that is not a safe choice is hard and takes a long time to work through so that you feel that you can be productive in that context. I feel like I spent over a year in therapy just learning not the opposite. I feel like I'd say that a lot to you. It's like, yes, it's this, but the opposite for me is that I spent over a year learning how to be angry and that I didn't always have to be vulnerable and explain my position why the vulnerability was justified. The amount of rolling over and belly exposing 
was almost to block the anger and that realizing and working really hard to feel like I deserved to be angry about anything took the most time and still feels like a little wild sometimes. Now I know I have anger and that it's something that is allowed to just exist without needing to be put somewhere immediately all the time. Like I don't have to channel my rage right away. I can just feel it. And that's just as vulnerable as crying. And somehow that's more difficult. It took a long time of my therapist coaxing that out of me and making me feel like I was in a place where no one was going to be mad at me for being angry. I don't know if that adds anything, but like, no, it's, but it's the same thing. It's like the, it's the, the inner monologue saying like, is this, is any of this useful? Are any of the things that you're feeling right now useful to you or to anyone in any way whatsoever? And if they aren't, then you need to keep them inside rather than like flushing the poison out of your own system. That really makes sense to me too, because part of my inner monologue is constantly driving me to fix something. So the idea that I'm just in a space where just the raw emotion is not only acceptable, but like the correct thing to let out feels very backwards because I feel I need to have a solution for things when I say them or a next step or something like that. If you don't have an inner monologue, will you tell us all about it? Because that is so fascinating to me. I, I don't want to speak for you. But yeah, it is because <laughs> I don't I understand what it means to not have one like in a moment but I do not understand living that way. How do you know what to do and how to feel about things if your brain isn't yelling at you? Yeah. How do you know what to do and how to feel about things if your brain isn't yelling at you? Is it awesome? It sounds awesome. It sounds awesome. I feel like you probably get a lot more done. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. So uh, if that's you, please let us know what that feels like because... I don't, I couldn't even monologue not having a monologue. Nope. Would not know how to do that. <laughs> yes. I would be very curious for those people and, and also other people who, who do have inner monologues and how you deal with that. We got a bunch of responses to our shame monster episode in a way that I think both of us found interesting and enlightening and also like lovely because it is nice to know that people are listening and feel the same way. And so, you know, we're all in this together or something. Not or something. <laughs> We are. We are just all in this together. Yeah. Hey, oh, you know what, though? Speaking of all in this together, something that we said last time that we would be reminding people every time is that you need to fill out the census. You do need to fill out the we census. We are all in this together. We are literally all in this together if you live in the United States of America. Yes. Um. The census tells the government how many people live everywhere and how much stuff they need. And I know this government is something else but we still have to do the census because the next government will still use this data it's true and it also determines the number of representatives from your state go into the house of representatives meaning that some of those seats could be allocated elsewhere if you don't count everyone in all your places so please do that love you lots Tell other people to do it too. Tell other people to do it. 
Only slightly dead inside is Julianne Vilker and Nico Lanzaroni. Our theme song, Motown Mo Problems, was composed by Joel B. New and Robbie Roselle designed our logo. Find and follow us on all the social medias by searching Slightly Dead Pod and check out our website, slightlydeadpod.com. We will be there. If you are in crisis or feel like you might be a danger to yourself or someone else, turn this off and call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255 or text Crisis Text Line at 741-741. Someone is always there to hear you and you are worth hearing. It's true.